0: Hello and welcome to Top Down Brain RX Chill Pill Podcast, where you can boost your resilience just by listening. Resilience is about bouncing back from setbacks by adapting and learning so you can thrive through life's challenges. Each episode includes research-backed tools and leaves you with an action or meditation prescription that you can apply immediately to your and your family's life. I'm Dr. Juna Bobby, a board certified physician and a mom of two amazing kids. My purpose is to make the neuroscience of wellness accessible to you and your kids' everyday life. Because when I became a mom, I wanted to do everything possible to empower my children with healthy mental and physical habits. This wasn't something that I had growing up, so I had to learn how to create it. I'm definitely not aiming for perfection, but I can honestly say that the mind-body skills I learned transformed my family's life. After years of training, I fully transitioned into teaching mind-body medicine leaving one of the most prestigious private practices in New York City so I could dedicate my time to creating and teaching the science of resilience. My almost decade long experience teaching high performing students of all ages at Juilliard and many other schools have now led me to the creation of my newest course, Plan to Soar for K to 12, Stress Management and Resiliency Training and Soar Under Pressure or Soar Up for Youth and Adults. These courses are available for partnering schools, organizations, groups, and for individuals online. Go to mindbodyspace.com and sign up or email info at mindbodyspace.com. A portion of all proceeds go to those students in need. Today is my monthly chat with my brilliant and amazing friend, Fiona Merton. She's a chartered organizational psychologist in London Fee is the host of her own podcast, Dot to Dot, and is the award-winning author of Defining You and Mirror Thinking. Hi, Fee.
1: It's lovely to see you.
0: I'm so excited to have you here, as usual. And yeah. last last episode, we talked a little bit about sleep. We started to touch upon sleep and how it could affect performance, right? Yeah. And today we're going to touch upon, um, we're going to talk about Emotional regulation today and maybe we can start talking a little bit about sleep and emotions
1: Yeah, emotions are pretty complex things aren't they
0: very very and sleep. I mean they have Robust evidence that sleep can affect emotional regulation and also it can affect um, psychiatric disorders you know, oh, yeah. In particular, anxiety disorders, which is so prevalent these days, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, especially when we're talking about adolescents, I know you're mentoring adolescents now
1: mm-hmm.
0: in high school, right? Well, so, yep. yes, go on.
1: No, I was going to say I'm not actually personally mentoring them myself. I'm, I'm, um, I'm sort of facilitating other people mentoring them and providing them with mental health support and things like that.
0: Awesome. Congratulations. That's so exciting. Thank you. So, when we talk about adolescents, I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, I guess you don't have as much direct contact with adolescents, but my students, they will tell me that they get four to five hours of sleep, especially junior year of high school. Really? Yeah. Super high achievers. They're doing uh, extracurriculars at a very high level. Wow. And then they're wow. taking a bunch of AP classes. And
1: that's
0: uh, how, old's, how old are they in junior year? Fifteen, sixteen. Mm hmm. I mean, I think it comes in waves because they will try to catch up on the weekends and they'll sleep, you know, but we all know that catch up sleep is not exactly ideal. So I don't know if they're consistently getting four to five hours every day for the whole year. I don't think so. Um, I think that you're just falling asleep at that point during the day. (laughs) Wow. So I want to unpack that a little bit. So again, research states, you know, research supports that sleep can, it's like a bi-directional effect with um, psychiatric disorders, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of psychiatric disorders have their first, have their start during adolescent years. You know what comes first right like the lack of sleep and and then like let's say a manic episode because that's one of the the disorders that we know is really uh, very closely tied to sleep and
1: psychosis as well yeah
0: yes you can almost induce psychosis uh if you keep people from sleeping
1: <laughs> well there's evidence that um well sleep, sleep deprivation uh will lead to death ultimately Mm hmm. It's has a dramatic impact on the brain. And what's interesting, working with chief execs who are a bit more seasoned, so further into their career, um, they may be in their 20s were very much of that driven mindset where I will sleep under the desk and I will just get up in the morning at work and carry on. Um, well, there's people like Arianna Huffington, who, um, Jeff Bezos, who themselves say that they suffered uh, quite significantly from a lack of sleep, but they had to go through the process of having it hit them before they actually did anything about it. I think it's mm-hmm. important, if possible, it's a bit like cleaning your teeth. It's you can yeah. say when you were when you're an adolescent you think or a teenager you think, oh, you know what, I can't be bothered to clean my teeth. But then when you get to your later years, you realise that if you haven't cleaned your teeth when you're younger, you've got you know, they start falling out and rotting and all that <laughs> sort of stuff. It's a, it's the same thing with sleep, but sleep can have a more immediate impact and has quite a dramatic impact on performance. Um, mm-hmm. And one thing I find really interesting, there's a guy in the U.K. called um, Little Hale, his surname, and he worked with the Tour de France team. So have you heard of the Tour de France cycling? Of course, yes. Yeah. What's his name again? Can you spell it? Little Hale. So little, like small, L-I-T-T-L-E, Hale, H-A-L-E. That's his surname. And they they did so much work with these guys on the Tour de France to just absolutely fine tune their performance. And this guy was employed specifically around sleep. And he would do things like uh, help them to regulate the time, uh, sorry, the temperature of their room, Mm, um, mm -hmm. what foods they're eating up to a certain time of day, um, Mm -hmm. right down to the actual bedding So these guys Mm. would take bedding with them. So they're stopping at different places every night on the tour, and they have their custom-made bedding that they would use. Nice. But these things...
0: That sounds like me. When I used to take call at Bellevue, I used to bring my satin sheets. Oh, nice. (laughs) Not that I ever got any sleep.
1: (laughs) Wow. Anyway, go on. (laughs) My mother-in-law brings her pillow with her everywhere she goes. (laughs) But, it, but it's, the, the, the point being is when we get down to these performance sports mm-hmm. where you're fine tuning to tenths of a second how yeah. fast you can go and what you can do and mm-hmm. what your body can do and what your mind can do, sleep is a massively important deciding factor in that.
0: Yeah. Any, any edge you can get, right? Absolutely. Because they're all at such an elite level.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's important for kids to understand is really what they're trying to do is fine tune their performance to get to the colleges they want to and to achieve what they want to. But to Mm -hmm. really, really get the optimum, then they need to try and sleep a bit more. (laughs) Yeah.
0: But also we talk about emotions, right? Because emotional regulation how you handle your emotions and how you learn to handle them during your teenage years and your growing years which you touch upon in your book um defining you is is really important for how they're going to actually handle things in the future right because your brain is processing these emotions and they're learning how to manage their emotions at this time so how you do that and how resilient you are Um, And that's where sleep comes in, because when you're getting sufficient sleep, you know, the research has shown that you can actually um, choose situations better where you're not going to be as triggered. And then you can also choose your emotions better on how to react to things. Right. Mm -hmm. Because we're working more from the top down brain. You kind of lose that with a lack of sleep, just like a toddler who doesn't get a nap is going to be cranky. um, You know, everybody's like
1: that. Yeah. even into adulthood. Absolutely. And until the age of 28, you know this, Juna, but the the connection between the frontal lobe of the brain and the emotional center, the brain is still developing. It's going through emerging adulthood. And if you're not laying down those neural networks at that time of life, it's going to make it more difficult. Doesn't mean it's impossible because we know we Mm -hmm. have brain plasticity, but it's going to make it more difficult later on in life. And I can't remember who it is. There's someone that says that you can't delete neural pathways. You can only build other neural pathways. And actually there's a there's an interesting point relating to that and emotions. Because if you're not learning to regulate your emotions, you're laying down the more, the less helpful neural pathways. Because the neural pathways are getting more embedded on, I will throw a tantrum. And that's I'm sure everyone listening thinks I don't throw tantrums. But, you know, <laughs> it's like you'll lose your temper, you'll get more anxious or you'll get more upset. And then that's embedding uh, an emotional pathway that's not as helpful as if you have more sleep, where you would handle it differently. Mm hmm.
0: I think you're referring to habits, like habitual thought patterns or habitual patterns of behavior. I mean, they do go through pruning. So the dendrites will prune back if you don't use something, just like if you start to juggle, you learn how to juggle, and then you stop juggling for a while, your dendrites are going to shrink back. So they call that pruning, just like what you go outside and prune your garden. But I think what you're talking referring to is like a habitual loop of uh, basically a trigger. And a habit, right? Yep. So the emotions can become like a habit, like that, and those are really hard to to get rid of, and maybe they don't ever go <laughs> away. I'm not sure, but you can always train your top down brain by, you know, slowing things down and and getting more sleep, and you know, using your cognitive perspective shifting, right? Which is what we're going to talk about now. So um, in your book, you talk about accepting emotions. So let's say you don't get enough sleep and you're, you're feeling a little emotionally labile. I know you had Russ Harris on your podcast
1: recently. Yeah, he's wonderful.
0: That's so cool. Um, And I know you're really into his work on acceptance commitment therapy. So let's say like somebody didn't get sleep. Let's just presume that you're an adolescent, you're cramming for your exams, you're not getting enough sleep and you know you're like triggered a lot emotionally. How would you use this uh, acceptance skill to help yourself so you handle things better
1: mm-hmm. yeah and, and acceptance is it's not something that comes naturally to us partly because of the way we're brought up to handle problem solving which is there's a problem we solve it so when we have a problem in our head we think as a problem i'll solve it but of course our head doesn't work like that and so it goes count- <laughs> it's almost counterintuitive so we kind of battle with it, and and so you're what, saying that somebody has
0: an emotion that's not something that's pleasant, and then yes. they want to solve it, right? Yes. So it's like, oh, I'm having this emotion. I don't like this anger, or frustration. So I want so to solve this. Anger I want to or solve it. Now. I want
1: to fix it. I want to find mm-hmm. out why. I want to get rid of it. I want to get rid of it, but actually, what we know that does is embed that emotion even more. And mm-hmm. so, counterintuitively, it's Being able to, I mean, there are different terms for it. I sometimes call it emotion surfing. So you imagine you're surfing out that emotion on the wave and you're just letting it go or Mm -hmm. floating. So you float Mm -hmm. on it. But it's basically trying to, and you have to keep reminding yourself of doing this because it doesn't just, you don't just say it once and then it happens. It's trying to say, I'm just going to leave that. So it's a bit like having an annoying brother or sister who's, who's you know, he's really, really trying to wind you up. I don't know if that's an American expression as well, but annoying <laughs> sure. you, really annoy you, yeah. really irritate you. Get under your skin. Yeah, and you just think, oh, shut up. And if you, <laughs> you, but you know, you know, if you get angry with them, they're gonna just get more angry back or they're gonna just laugh at you more back or they're just gonna wind you up a bit more back. But if you can back off, then they're going to get a bit bored after a while and leave you alone. And mm-hmm. emotions are very like that, negative emotions. We, mm-hmm. we experience it, but then it's saying it's there. It's not pushing it down. It's not blocking it. It's not pushing it away. It's not even engaging with it. It's just saying that feeling is there and I'm just going to leave it there while I try and get on with something else.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: and um, engaging
0: with it is just reinforcing it you're saying mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right it just makes it grow more so what if you're stuck in it though right so you know let's use a lot of people use quicksand as an example so you're stuck in quicksand and you start to struggle in the quicksand and you start to get even deeper into the quicksand but what if you're in it and you don't know and you're just struggling (laughs)
1: Well, I mean, How do you I get think, yourself out. Well, it gets, has to be a point at which you recognise it to be able to do something. I think, but but then there are three things um, you can name the emotion, which mm-hmm. sounds really simplistic, but you'll have seen the studies, Juno, that show that it actually moves the emotion from the limbic centres of the brain to the top um, frontal lobes of the brain, which allows us to. Right, you're using your language centre of your brain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it allows, allows you to rationally process it. You're going to let's go something. one
0: step back. So, it's awareness first. Awareness so, first of first. all, somebody has to tell you, oh, you know, if you're trying to deal with your negative thoughts, you are in quicksand. So, you have to learn that concept first, right? When you are trying to focus on getting rid of something or you're struggling against something, it's just going to ensnare you more. Yep. So, that's. And then, secondly, you need to be aware that you're in the quicksand. <laughs>
1: And sometimes, even right. with the, even with um, the Training. Sort of senior leaders that I work with, they uh-huh. they recognise that once they are consumed by emotions of one sort or another, then it's really hard to recognise it. So it's sometimes about getting someone else to recognise it for you. But the mm. problem the problem is when you're a teenager, you don't necessarily want your mum or your dad to tell you. Um, so mm-hmm. it might be that you, you you have a friend who says, oh, do you know what? I think you're getting into that, that quicksand again or you're getting into that mental trap again.
0: Yeah, the um, trigger or the bottom-up brain. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: the triggered <laughs> brain.
1: And then um, even if you're st- stuck, if you're in that quicksand, the two most effective things to do are to talk about it, just talk about it out loud to someone. And mm. the other thing is, if you don't want to talk about it or you don't have someone to talk about it to, write about it.
0: hmm. So you're engaging all different parts of your brain, you're processing, you're using your motor and sensory and you're talking, which is talking is so com- complex and involves so many areas of your brain.
1: And it allows you to process this and reflect and, and um, get yourself in a better place with it. But if you find that you think you've got someone who if you're going to start talking to them about it, they're going to have a bigger problem or, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> then write it down.
0: Mm-hmm. Or talk to your coach or therapist or teacher or trusted uh, guidance counselor. Right?
1: Yeah, I, f- I forget that in the States you have these wonderful things. You see, in the UK... We... You don't have guidance counselors? No, it's it's becoming a bit more common, but it's not, mm-hmm. not
0: necessarily. <laughs> <well>. <laughs> okay, so surfing your emotions. So um allowing them to be there, you see it, but you just kind of like surf it. Uh, you could take some deep breaths, as simple as that sounds. You can also come to your senses, meaning like you can... Um, recognize what's around you, listen to the sounds that are right around you, you can look at what's right in front of you, you can use mind, these are mindfulness skills, right? And literally, they're using your six senses to come back into the present moment, instead of getting wrapped up in these emotions that might be overwhelming you. Mm -hmm. But again, it's that training of awareness, So you can train when you're not stuck in a wave of emotions to take those deep breaths um, and maybe do some mindfulness practices while you're not in those critical moments so that you can be ready when those things happen. And you might be more self-aware of being triggered.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's something I also always say to, you know, I've been saying to frontline workers, for example, you know, ICU doctors during the pandemic is, when we've been between waves, I said, right, we need to make a plan now. Because mm-hmm. once you're in the middle of dealing with however many deaths, again, your brain is not going to be able to think straight, you might look at the plan now and think, well, yeah, that's obvious. But actually, when it happens, it's not quite so obvious. <laughs>
0: because, right. because
1: your brain gets flooded with all these emotions.
0: And then what about after? So you get triggered, you don't catch yourself, you end up embarrassing yourself, or you're not, you know, being at your best. Um, and then what?
1: There's, I mean, there's something called cognitive reframing, um, which is actually uh, a technique from uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. And mm-hmm. in that sense, you you take apart. And you, you make sense of basically what, what's happened. So, for example, you might say, I failed my exams because I'm not very, I'm not very clever. Um, mm-hmm. What that is, it's, it's what we'd say is an out of control. So it's not within your control if you're not clever. And it's got negative connotation. What you do is you break that down to, I failed my exams because I didn't work hard enough. Or maybe because I didn't get enough sleep. I was um, just going to say that. <laughs> yeah. So the outcome becomes within your control. So it was, it's hard, but it was a good mm-hmm. life lesson. And actually, I'm in control of it because if I'd slept more, or if I'd worked harder, or if I'd um, been to all my classes, or whatever it might be, the outcome would have been different.
0: And so going from a pervasive, fixed mindset where you're saying you're labeling yourself something you're not smart or whatever and then going towards a growth mindset where you can have control over your outcome by changing your um behavior basically or and especially learning from what just happened and then changing going forward which makes it a growing experience
1: yeah and that's not to say it's easy it's 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 not an easy thing to do you know (laughs) there, there are steps
0: you can take so if you practice those steps over and over again. And again, this goes into uh, what they call deliberate practice also. Mm -hmm. So when you go and um, do something, you get immediate feedback. So it might be a grade that gives you that immediate feedback. It might be a parent or a teacher or your friend. And then you take that feedback and, of course, you have to make sure that you take a deep breath so you don't get offended and take it personally. But then take that feedback and immediately change something about what you're doing and do it differently this time for a different outcome.
1: What's great is if adolescents, teenagers, if if you can do this now, Mm. even though sometimes it might feel like you only get it right one time out of 20, that's Mm -hmm. good, that's good because it it gets easier. Um, But the more you can practice it now, because it is practice, the easier things will become as you grow older.
0: And I love how you said one out of 20
1: because really that's great success (laughs) as long as there's that one but I think that's what can feel really hard as well because you know the kids you talk to are really really um capable that they get very good grades Mm -hmm. they're talented Mm -hmm. And so in and things have
0: come easy for them. A lot of them, in many ways, because they're so intelligent and smart and hardworking. So when they come up against adversity, usually it's like junior year when they first feel like, "Oh my God, there's so much work to do." Yeah. You know.
1: And and because they're so smart and because they're so capable that they will always be getting ten out of ten on whatever they're doing. But our head doesn't work like that because our head is. Not black Eventually, they don't get 10 out of 10. No, but, <laughs> and that's... But, but yeah, we don't. And then also, trying things out in our head doesn't work straight away. Mm-hmm. So, whereas... Shoot
0: for just one out of 20.
1: That's yeah. <laughs> And that might sound just like horrendous. Like no way <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's what, like even being a mom, right? Shoot yeah. for that one out of twenty times when you, one out of hundred. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so going back to sleep, so if you can't get the eight to ten hours of sleep that's recommended for adolescent brains where um, during sleep, your glymphatics are at work and it's cleaning out the byproducts of all of your metabolism in your brain. And that's when it's at its best. Um, And there's also emotional processing that goes on with dreaming and all of that. So if you can't get that ideal 8 to 10 hours, at least take some naps. Even meditation, um, sometimes you get better rest than sleeping, they've shown, metabolically speaking. So you can do a 15 to 20-minute meditation. You might feel refreshed. Or you can take a nap. At thirty minutes, sixty minutes, or ninety-minute cycles, so you don't feel groggy after. And even Thomas Edison, who only slept like four hours a night, turns out he napped all day. Oh, really? <laughs> he would take lots of little naps throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Pablo Picasso was another one. He would take naps. So naps are great. You know, if you can't if you can't get those regular hours, I mean, human beings have adapted to this sort of sleep at the same time every night and wake up in the morning cycle. But if you look at cultures across the world and over time, people do not always sleep through the night either. So There's
1: there's been quite a lot of research, hasn't there? Locking people in dark rooms 24 hours a day. Under their obviously, they consent to this. (laughs) Um, And there's, there's one experiment, I think it was carried out in Boston, actually, that showed that after about a week, all of the participants started this dual night um, rhythm. I don't know if it's where they'll go to sleep, then they'd be awake for one or two hours, and then they'd go back to sleep again. And then there's someone else. There's an author who'd written who's written a book about. He he went back through hundreds and hundreds of his, historic um, records, looking at sleep patterns, and it says that you know it's only up until recently we were still having this diurnal, that's what I mean, diurnal night pattern where there'd be a waking period of about one hour or two hours in the middle of the night. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. It's it's really interesting. But Mm -hmm. I would also say on the less sleep, I think less sleep's great if you can have naps, but if you have less sleep and you don't have naps, you have someone like two great British leaders, Churchill,
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Who, who only had about four hours sleep a night but he was drunk mm-hmm. most of the time and was <laughs> was also a um, uh, severe depressive um and and then you have amazing so many facets <laughs> yeah and then you have um, Margaret Thatcher who only slept for about four hours a night but she got Alzheimer's and oh my gosh that yeah. could well be and down to the plaques that were forming yeah, in yeah beta butt. amyloid
0: does build up uh, when you don't sleep enough yeah. Mm. Beta amyloid is one of those things that are swept away at night when you're sleeping, which is you- a precursor to the um, the Alzheimer's protein. People do have a it's a it's a bell curve. So some people need less sleep than others. So it's very individualized. Some people can function on four to five hours of sleep and do perfectly fine. But that's very rare. OK, <laughs> most people need seven to eight and adolescents need Eight to 10. But as an adult, if you sleep more than eight hours, they've also associated that with increased mortality. So not too
1: much, not too little. (laughs) It's like all things to do with the brain. How many hours?
0: Everything. How many hours do
1: you you sleep,
0: Gina? Well, now I sleep less. As you get older, you sleep less and less. I think I sleep like maybe six to seven hours. Usually seven. I would average around seven, which is perfect. Um, My older son, he never was a napper. He stopped napping when he was nine months old. He still doesn't need as much sleep. Uh, My daughter, if you didn't put her to bed at 7pm, it was a nightmare. (laughs) There was hell to pay. So she needs more sleep even now. So I mean, everybody varies in the amount of sleep they need.
1: And there's also the um, what time of day and what time when you sleep which is most effective, so circadian or circadian, depending on how you say it, rhythms.
0: Um, circadian rhythms,
1: circadian. yeah. Because mm-hmm. there's, um, I don't know if you noticed in my and book. And that is
0: set every single day. So when you first wake up in the morning, if you get sunlight in your eyes, dopamine. you step outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, uh, it, you know, that's what sets your 24-hour rhythm, which is why Circadian rhythm.
1: you get jet, jet lags and all that. But I've got, I don't know if you saw that. Which page is that? Page 198. I don't know if you've got paperback there.
0: Oh, yes. So you have on page 198 in Defining You, which everybody should buy this book, uh, The Circadian Rhythm. Yeah. And Fee has outlined this um, questionnaire.
1: I had to get permission from the Center of Disease Control in the States to put that in the book. So it's... Um, Perfect. It's it's a nice... It's 19 questions and it's just quite fun. But it tells you whether you're a, an evening sort of person or a morning sort of person, when you're going to perform at your best.
0: Awesome. I'm definitely creative in the morning, which I think a lot of creatives are.
1: <laughs> I, I, I write best in the morning, but yet it wasn't until after university so my mid-twenties that I was actually uh, I was much more of a night a night owl until then
0: that is true me too I used to take all night classes and when I worked in a the neuroscience lab I was waking up at 1 p.m and working till midnight (gasps) (laughs) so definitely over over time your sleep patterns change and teenagers definitely have that sort of you know going into the night owl situation Yeah. Anyway, this was awesome. So three steps to emotional regulation. Number one is sleep. Get enough sleep. If you're an adolescent, eight to ten hours. If you're an adult, seven to eight hours. If um, you have varying times, then don't get too freaked out about it. Don't get hung up on it. Just get, you know, get into a regular cycle. But if you find yourself lacking sleep, you can do what Fee's gonna tell us with your emotions. First of all, you could be aware that you didn't get enough sleep. <laughs> right yeah and that you might be a little more trigger than usual okay mm-hmm. so maybe yeah. you want to avoid those people or situations that might trigger you normally
1: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and then it's uh, emotion surfing there and just let it play out on its own so surf it surf that emotion and coming um,
0: from a surfer because fee is a surfer right yeah, you're so yeah, cool fee so well, when you're surfing you're on top of the waves of emotion Rather than going under, right? So you're kind of just.
1: Well, and actually, an ocean is a really good analogy here because if you, you know, everyone will, I think, will have stood in the ocean and you have a wave come Mm -hmm. at you. And if you try and stand up against that wave, it hits you and Mm -hmm. it hurts or it knocks you over. And that's basically what an emotion does. If you try and fight with it, you're not going to win. So instead of doing that, if you've got your surfboard, jump on your surfboard. And you just ride that wave out. You think, yeah, it's going to take me where it's going to take me, but I'm just going to ride it out. Um, So it's doing that. It's then don't fight with it. Um, um, It's speaking about it, talking about it to someone. It's about writing it down. Labelling the emotion can help. And then, then the then you move on to step three, which is everything's gone wrong. What do I do now? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Take a nap or meditate. Or
1: <laughs> Take a nap, meditate, or uh, and then co- learn from it. Cognitively reframe so into learn a learn from it for next time growth mindset. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, Easy to say, but it takes practice it really does take practice and i think that's a really really important factor to remember as well as don't start getting angry with yourself if you can't do it because that's just going to perpetuate the feeling <laughs> it's like okay it's hard to do it's a lot harder than it sounds mm-hmm. and so just keep trying keep trying that's what you need to do
0: okay and the goal is to become aware of it while you're in it mm-hmm that might not always happen and sometimes you might be in it recognize it and then you still can't stop it you'll just watch yourself getting triggered (laughs) but at least you were aware of it right yeah yeah take it in little steps all right thank you it was so much fun as usual and i can't wait till next month
1: (laughs) i can't wait either thanks juna
0: okay so next time we're going to talk a little more and in depth about acceptance
1: yeah
0: great acceptance
1: and commitment therapy yeah which use I mean I use it with CEOs and it's been shown to be effective you use it for coaching yeah but mm-hmm. it's been used to being effective from improving creativity and innovation right through to dealing with sort of more difficult emotions So that's a really helpful strategy fantastic so we're going to talk about acceptance and commitment
0: therapy in more detail and how we can apply it to high achievement as well as uh, difficult emotions. Yep. Thank you. Take care Happy this.
1: Have an Tina. awesome
0: day. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to my monthly chat with Fiona, where we focused on insights and practical actionable tips to help you and your kids reach your highest potential. Find out more about her at fionamurden.com for topics that you'd like covered on the podcast, or information on our STEM-based courses to boost resilience in youth and adults, email info at mindbodyspace.com. Or go to mindbodyspace.com and opt in so you can get extra tips on the science of resilience in our newsletter. And you'll also get information on our neuroscience powered planner and online courses plan to soar and soar under pressure for kids, parents, educators, and professionals. Please share this podcast with anyone who believes in the scientific method and are curious about natural ways to boost performance, health, mental and physical resilience for themselves or their kids. Thank you so much. And until next time, this is Dr. Juna wishing you and your family wellness.